You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's uh, Wednesday evening here in the States uh, on the East Coast. Jim and I are here to, uh, I, I guess, say we're gluttons of punishment because we're recording just about, I don't know, about five, six hours after Roma uh, fell to Bologna, one nothing uh, up in Bologna. So not a good result for Roma. A, a tough loss, a really tough loss after a positive result on the weekend against Torino where Roma you know, really gutted out a victory. It was a, a match I was impressed with after Pellegrini went down uh, injured in the first 15 minutes. I even tweeted out like that was the gutty type of performance a team needs in order to qualify for the Champions League. And then, you know, this happens, Jim. So how are you doing, uh, you know, late this uh, afternoon, early evening here in the States? Yeah, this was one of the more frustrating matches that I've seen this season. Um, I, I wasn't, I'll be real with you. I wasn't super frustrated by like the blowout against Bodo just because, you know, I decided to focus more on things that would make me happy after that match. <laughs> um, but, but watching this one where it was so obvious that we were, were just getting more of the same week in, week out of refereeing issues, which we'll obviously talk about in depth after this. Um, and we're just, as per usual, since, you know, even the start of the American era, not the Friedkin era, not the Palata era, the, American era of uh, Roma, where injuries have just kneecapped this team time and time again, whether that was, you know, COVID keeping a lot of players out in the past week or more. It's just been, it was a really frustrating match that kind of encompassed a lot of the issues that Roma's been dealing with over the past couple months. Yeah, it certainly has. I mean, we've seen injuries you know, time and again, like you mentioned in, in this era, you know, from the Zaniolo two knee surgeries, we've seen, you know, uh, numerous other ones. I can't even think off the top of my head, Spinazzola this summer, we've missed him so, so much this season and, you know, uh, other guys at various times. And, and the Pellegrini one we knew would be big when it happened on Sunday, Roma found a way to get by without him. Uh, but he's been one of the most influential players in the side. Um, you know, even, with players returning today, it was still going to be a tough task up in Bologna. Bologna has been a tough team for uh, a lot of sides this season. You know, if you look at the table with the win, they're up to 24 points, just a point behind Roma. Now the table is getting very tight. We'll talk about that later on, but um, Mourinho, he got Vigna back. He got some players like that back, but he did stick with the three, five, two Vigna started from the bench. Um, Cristante made it back pretty much last minute um, from the COVID diagnosis. He was able to test negative and, and make the trip up with the team start on the bench. And we saw pretty much the same lineup as Sunday minus Pellegrini in the starting 11. Um, you know, Vertu returned pretty much took his spot the same back three, um, which has been pretty good. We'll talk about that. Um, but Mourinho stuck with his three, five, two, which seemed like an emergency thing. Um, you know, over the weekend, I thought when Vini was back, I actually projected in the problems that they would return to the four, two, three, one, but he stuck with it. Um, and we'll talk about that too. So 
let's you guys again with the listener questions gave us plenty to talk about in these two matches some of these questions i'll if they are from monday because we were originally supposed to record on monday uh we had some scheduling issues and we decided just to wait until after this match uh probably a poor decision on our part from like our mental sanity standpoint but <laughs> we thank you for the questions whether you submitted on monday or today if we didn't get to yours from monday uh it's because maybe it, the the second match kind of threw it out the window but uh, again, thanks for all those questions. And the first one I'll start with, Jim, is kind of a lighthearted one for us because it comes from uh, Irish Romanista. And he said, how badly do you wish you had recorded this 24 hours ago? Very badly. Very, very, very badly. Look, man, yeah, I, I already said my piece about this match more broadly. This was probably one of the most frustrating matches I've seen for Roma since uh, probably the violin game with Rudy Garcia back against Juve back in the day when <laughs> it was so obvious, at least to me at the time, that, you know, this was a squad that could could go toe-to-toe with, you know, the, the team, that team that won Scudetto after Scudetto. There was no doubt that that first season with Rudy Garcia, they were on that level. Um, and it was inf- just like it was infuriating to see them lose over ticky tack refereeing decisions and, you know, just disappointments. That's kind of the same thing that happened here. So, yeah, I, I definitely wish that we could go back 24 hours and record that when back when I was happy about how Roma was doing. Yeah, it would definitely would have been a lot more uh, fun for us to record post Torino, you know, when Jim told me he couldn't make it on Monday, neither could Brandon. I said, you know what, instead of recording tomorrow, it's gonna be almost the match on Wednesday let's just wait and so I take I take full blame Jim so I'm sorry for your mental language tonight um moving on we have a question from Mark Lane he said why does Roma constantly lose this kind of game and I mean that genuinely we lost this with Spalletti both times Zaman Garcia EDF Fonseca and Enrique we change players playing personnel we change coaches we change tactics and yet like clockwork Roma happens why can you explain it Jim because I don't know if I can we're going to discuss refereeing issues later. So I'm not going to dive too deep into my conspiracy theory hat just yet. Um, so uh, other than refereeing issues that have plagued Roma for a long time, whether, you know, whether it's a big match against Juve or whether it's these matches against Bologna where things crop up. Uh, but beyond that, I don't know. I think that there is a big issue with Roma that we've talked about, you know, over the years where Roma is a club with a media circus and expectations of a Real Madrid, but it does not have the budget or the, it doesn't have the budget to be Real Madrid and it doesn't have the patience to try to grow something like Dortmund. And I think that sometimes when you see Roma lose matches like this, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure this is the case for this particular match. But if, you, if you're asking why we lose against small clubs a lot, I think it's because sometimes we don't take those matches seriously enough. I think we've gotten better at that under uh, Mourinho than we ever were under you know, other, other owner, um, managers. Fonseca, like the first half of Fonseca might be the only exception to that. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I think that Roma is a club that's kind of stuck between a lot of different identities and that can sometimes bite it in the ass and games like this are often when that comes to the fore. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right. They're stuck between some identities. I, I, I think in some ways, and we're guilty of it too, I know I am, maybe we just value Roma's personnel a little more than they actually should be in comparison to other sides. Maybe we you know, hold Roma to such a high standard at times that we're not a big club like a Juve. We have to admit that sometimes that budget-wise, I mean, Juve, you know, they're going through their own things with their budget. So maybe their budget wasn't so big, but, you know, compared to the English sides and and some of these other, you know, Bayerns and big Spanish sides, you know, we haven't been able to just load up on talent with our, our pocketbooks. And, yeah. you know, they started to do that at times. We've seen Roma spend big at times. Tammy Abraham's a good example this year, but um, I think part of it's mental too. These these small clubs get big up, get up for big teams, and we even see with Juve now. Juve is not as dominant as they were during their nine Scudetto run, and they're dropping points in matches like this too. Um, Napoli lost uh, two point two critical points to Sassuolo today. Uh, shout out to John Lucas Gamaka who's making me look good with, with that piece I wrote last season because he's really starting to fire up at Sassuolo. Uh, as a side note. Um, but, you know, on the weekend, Milan fell to Sassuolo. So these teams do get up for the quote-unquote bigger sides in the league. I, I wish Roma would be better about stepping up for it. I mean, 
I remember last season having this conversation in kind of a 180 with Sean on, on the pod because Sean like couldn't believe that Roma was winning week after week against these sides because for so long we've had this problem and it seemed like Fonseca had fixed it. And then lo and behold, you know, the wheels just completely fell off in the second half of the season. And besides losing to big sides, Roma started losing to small sides and that completely they just started losing everybody. Yeah. Just started <laughs> losing everybody. And, and there, there went the Fonseca, you know, that, that was the, the end of it for him and Roma's, yeah. you know, champions league hopes and even Europa league hopes, geez, last year. Cause that's why we're stuck in a conference league. But um, it just seems, I think part of it's mental. I think part of it, there is that turnover aspect. Sometimes critical matches like this, it's hard to get up maybe on the road in a midweek match. And the other team's just ready and waiting for you. And, you know, Mihailovic had his team ready to play. And, you know, Mihailovic has that kind of Mourinho mentality where he can have his team dig in and really be tough. And they were they were tough today on Roma. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I remember Spal was our bogey team for a couple seasons when they were in the league. It's just been – somebody's always there to trip us up. I mean, Venezia was tough on the road. That was it, maybe the toughest loss this season to take. Yeah, I mean the one. Yeah. yeah, the one thing I would just add to all that, which I think you're right on the money for the most part, is not to get too much into other clubs' financial issues or whatever. But I would say that something that, if you read the Calcio e Finanza and all these different articles that come out have come out both recently and just over the past couple seasons, it really does feel to a certain extent as if the difference between Roma. And to a certain extent, Napoli and then the Northern clubs isn't that the Northern clubs have better cash flow per se. It's that the Northern clubs are way more committed to developing like unsustainable practices and are okay with developing unsustainable practices for a couple of seasons and saying, oh, we'll deal with the problem when we get to the problem. Whether that's Inter who have been searching for a new owner for forever uh, because of how much they threw into getting that one Scudetto. Um, or it's Juve who, you know, I mean, it's not hard for anyone to figure out that things like that Pjanic-Arthur swap were kind of questionable. And they've been doing things like that for years, but not on that scale. Usually it involves, you know, prospects. Like they, they would send like five prospects to one club and they'd about send back, you know, some guy. Then they'd do the valuation so that it technically worked out for financial fair play. And that always made me raise an eyebrow. So I guess the broader point that I'm making is that I think that the issue is often for Roma when it comes to Roma versus the other Italian clubs. It's not that Roma has like less financial ability. It's that they have fewer, they have more financial qualms about, you know, kind of making things a little bit dicey when it comes to how in how clear they're being, how good they're being when it comes to actually, you know, following the law. When it comes to Premier League clubs, when it comes to Ligue 1, when it comes to La Liga, though, I would 100% say that a lot of Roma's problems probably do circle back to the fact that the TV deal is peanuts compared to every other major league in Europe, and Roma just can't consistently get in the Champions League. I think those two things are really a huge reason why Roma is not as successful as we all want it to be. And it all comes back to that. It all comes back to the fact that Roma doesn't have that consistent Champions League money that they did admittedly have for a couple seasons there. But if Roma wants to be a serious club long-term, and Mourinho knows this, they're going to have to become a top four guaranteed side. I think that's fair. Yeah, we got a bit spoiled with that guaranteed Champions League money for like a good three, four, five seasons when the Milan clubs were really down. It really opened up that spot for Roma to... Uh, maybe appear to be a bit more dominant Roma and Napoli both Napoli's been a bit up and down since uh, the rebound of the the Milanese clubs too and you know Atalanta's thrown a big monkey wrench into the whole equation for some of these sides that aspire to be consistent Champions League sides I mean if you want to look at how how a team has run well that that team has run very well financially because by necessity they've had to for so long yeah and um, you talk about like developing um, you know, long-term projects. I mean, Roma's Primavera it, it is one thing that kind of drives me nuts when we were talking about like these player swaps and stuff that came to my mind. Uh, I brought up Sassuolo before. Davide Fratesi is, has been one of the better midfielders in Serie A this year. Roma, um, you know, Roma has a world-class academy. moved to Sassuolo <laughs> in the Defrel deal. Yeah. Yeah. Roma and has if, a world-class academy. If they academy. could develop more of them. Yeah. yeah. 
developing and, some of those yeah. players might help in in matches like this where maybe you want to rest a star player but you you, yeah. you know Mourinho feels obligated to play certain guys uh he talks about the depth the depth in matches like this comes comes to light sometimes even more than the big matches when you're going to run out your best 11 every time yeah. um you know Rick Karsdorp's played huge minutes this season uh guys like that have not got much rest and you know yeah you could say they're professionals but they are human beings and if you're being run out twice a week 90 minutes you're going to to drop in um you know your quality a bit so I, yeah. I think it's a whole bunch of things Mark when it comes to why we can't win these matches I mean we could sit here and probably have a whole two-hour podcast about why yeah. Roma happens and we still wouldn't be able to to figure it out <laughs> yeah I mean one thing I would just add to uh that gives me a little bit of hope in the medium to long term on that academy graduate side because you're right we Roma consistently gets awards for having like one of the best academies in Italy and Europe like period and you can see those results in like throughout Serie A like Fratesi's one Scamacca's another um Romagnoli didn't become like the next Maldini like we all thought he would but like he's still a pretty darn good central defender um and they keep on churning out great prospects <laughs> my one long-term hope for kind of the overarching Serie A Bay say infrastructure is that they get rid of kind of the primavera system as it currently exists and allow for something along the lines of what La Liga does, which is having like the B team play in a lower division than the main club, because that's actually, that's the only way for Italian coaches to get over their fears of playing youth in a top flight game. I'm convinced that's going to be the only way that like, if you're able to have like a guy who everyone admits has a huge amount of talent, like, let's say Alessio Riccardi, um, guy that everyone was like, this guy's the next thing. And he, what happened? He's 21 and he's playing with the Primavera still. No one really knows what's been up. If the Primavera was like a Seri Bay side and they played consistently at that level, he would have been ready for top flight football a whole lot sooner. And we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. And for every Fratesi that we have, which is like a guy who's able to go to a smaller club and become successful, there are like five guys who, if they had just gotten minutes at the right level at the right time, probably could be playing with Roma's side. And instead they're playing at like Serie C level or like out like in the Swiss league or so like somewhere unimportant. And I do, they have mentioned the idea of like allowing the big clubs to have their B teams play somewhere other than the Primavera league. I want to see that happen. And I think that if we're talking about things could, that could make Roma happen less we need to have more depth. And if we want more depth, we're going to need to have these Primavera players really get the chances they need to show that they can be depth for a manager, whether that's Mourinho or whoever else. Yeah. I, I'd so much love to see Roma use depth internally, then have to go out and get these players that are gambles to begin with gamble from within where you, you pretty much know the player. Um, and as far as I know, I think Juve is the only team with like the under 23 in Serie Chi, I think at this point. So, yeah. um, you know, kudos to them for like having that foresight compared to many of the other Italian clubs at this, at this point. And the last thing I would say on that is if Mourinho lasts the three years of his contract, I expect results in these kind of matches to improve as he works on uh, Roma's overall depth, the structure, the mentality going into these matches. I, I think Mourinho will work on all those things and, and it, they will be tougher to beat in some of these matches going forward. Um, we have Pietro Rizzo, Rizzo who uh, submitted a few questions after today's match. And he starts with, hey, kids, di Totti, listen, be honest with me. Is it time to cry and lose hope? Or is there still a way? I think for the Bologna game, our main issue was that we have no midfield, no ball control, no real possession. Do we pray someone to come in in January? What do you think about that, Jim? Okay, I'm hugely bummed out by this match. Don't get me wrong. But the sky is not falling in like a, well, the season's a wash kind of way. Roma's still in fifth place. They have 25 points. Other, no team has been consistently crushing it to the point where I'm like, okay, they're guaranteed to win the Scudetto, or let alone be a Champions League side. Um, I have seen failings at Atalanta. I've seen failings at Inter. I've seen moments where Milan looks particularly weak. And Milan's in second place right now. Um, on the flip side, Fiorentina is only one point behind Roma. Juventus is one point behind Roma. Bologna is one point behind Roma. As you said already, Steve, it's a really tight season this season. And is that scary in terms of like Roma's financial future? Of course, like we already talked about how important Champions League football is for the side. But at the same time, it does mean that, you know, 
it's disappointing to lose to Bologna, but it's not like the end of the season. Everyone can like start packing it in and just play FIFA until uh, until we are able to get a new signing in or something like that. I, I'm still relatively optimistic for the next couple months. Yeah, I'm not giving up hope yet, uh, just because everybody else, like you've mentioned, Jim, has been so inconsistent. I mean, it's tight because especially if Lazio wins tomorrow, that's like four teams, one point behind Roma for fifth place. And uh, Adelante has stretched their lead in fourth to six. But I guess it depends on what exactly you're hoping for. If you're hoping for Champions League, it is looking a little tougher now than it did maybe uh, like 12 hours ago when they were only, you know, a chance to be three behind Adelante. But, you know, a lot of matches to be played uh, still. In terms of the midfield, the, the 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 ball possession is is something concerning for me. Now today they actually controlled the majority of possession uh, in terms of pure numbers. They had fifty seven percent possession. Didn't do a whole ton with it. I was shocked on Sunday when we ceded possession to Torino, who's not the strongest side. Uh, Torino controlled sixty nine percent possession in that match. I think part of that was by design on Mourinho's part. Uh, because when Pellegrini went out, he realized the, the, their chances of controlling the ball were a lot weaker because Cristante was out, Vertu was out, then Pellegrini went down, you're playing with Diawara, and then you have Carlos Perez coming in and playing like a Metzala along with Mkhitaryan. So I think he realized possession-based football wasn't their best option against Torino, who had a strong defense. He would try to catch them out in um, you know possession and, and counterattack, and it worked for Roma. Today they controlled more possession, but they didn't do a whole lot with it because I think now they're missing some of that creativity uh, in the midfield. Which yeah. I mean, back I, oh, to me to a question. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to just yeah. throw in the second question on the same topic. And uh, Oli asked on Monday, actually, after the Torino match, is there anyone who can really contribute to attack similarly to Pellegrini? Uh, feels like without him, our offense is just not penetrating at all. And now he's out for a month. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I hope that the absence of Pellegrini has made certain people who aren't his number one fan uh, recognize how important he is to this side and how good he has been this season. Um, I was writing up the Torino match preview and I was, you know, Torino is not like a super interesting side to play against this season. Like they're not, they're, this is not like the Belotti peak years where it was like, you could bang in 35 goals in a season and like they were going to be probably playing in the Europa league. This is a, this is a side that was not very interesting to watch, but the one person who was like a great player um, is Bremer and Glayson Bremer. What is currently the person with the second highest who scored rating in all of Serie A. Number one is Lorenzo Pellegrini. Um, Pellegrini might be a little bit cooler than he was, uh, you know, to start the season, but like expecting him to be that hot for the entire season, like, even Messi does not stay that hot for an entire season. He was just on another universe, which is great to know he has that gear, but it wasn't going to be permanent. Anyway, um, what I would say is I think that in terms of who's already in-house who can play that way, I think we've seen that Mkhitaryan can play in that role to a certain extent. Um, I think that we've seen that uh, Zaniolo can play in that role to a certain extent in terms of like a cr- like creating chances, creating space, something like that. Um, I would be very interested in seeing what uh, Nikola Zalewski, Zalewski is how you pronounce, the, the W is more like a V sound with the Polish, I'm pretty I sure. So, yeah. Um, Nikola Zalewski, I, I'm, I really want to see what he can do. Um, but you're right. I mean, it turns out when a club loses its best player for the month, it's going to be harder for them to win matches. And that's just a fact of life. Um yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I just hope that people are recognizing that this is what happens when you lose your best player and he's our best player. So I think it's going to be really hard to replace Pellegrini uh, in terms of what he brings to the table, in terms of those key passes and things like that. I mean, he just brings so much for Roma that I, I don't know where they get that production from. I think, like I said, the closest is Mkhitaryan, but... You know, when you have, like I said, within the next five to six weeks, the, the time he's supposed to be out, you have Inter, Atalanta, and Milan, and then not the easiest matches against teams like Sampdoria, you know, and we saw today, any of these smaller clubs could be tricky, even the Spezias of the world. So um, Roma's got their work cut out for them. I mean, I'm looking at Pellegrini's shot creating actions. He had 11 a couple weeks ago against Venezia in the loss. There was another match where he had 10 against, uh, I believe it was Sassuolo. So those kind of those kind of plays right there just speak to what he does for Roma 
overall and uh, how they replace that. I, I don't know. I mean, Mkhitaryan's gonna have to be on his A game. And you mentioned Zaniolo; he can do it in in little, you know, bits here and there. But he's not polished to the extent that Pellegrini is at this point in his career. Uh, here's the same match against Venezia. This is the number I was looking for before. Eight key passes against Venezia. That equaled what Roma had as a team today against Bologna. Um, so they're going to have to find ways to unlock defenses. And uh, I, I, I'd, I'd like to be optimistic, but I'm not seeing too much. Um, in terms of Pietro's, going back to what he said, do we need some, someone to come in in January? I do think Roma is going to try to shore up that, that defensive midfield position in January. Um, I don't know where if it happens or not i i think pinto's going to try like hell to do it but um it's going to be tough yeah i 100 percent agree with that and i would definitely say that the priority for midfield has to be a defensive midfielder instead of kind of the more attacking midfielder role that pellegrini plays because if you bring in a player even like three quarters of pellegrini's quality and you know that he's going to be riding the pine that's just poor investment um I would say that a DM, particularly someone who can spell Veritu, is key because we we saw what happened last season with uh, Fonseca when Veritu had extended time off. It just resulted in the utter collapse of the side, and we can't have that again. Uh, so if there's a player who can either, you know, is a, not a like-for-like like with Veritu, but is a has some of that, those shared characteristics that can play well with Brian Cristante, that's really what we need. We need rotation in those kind of more defensive level um, midfielder roles um yeah and I, I mean that brings us to the next question there's a guy that we all thought might be the future the second coming of you know our dm like resolving our dm needs uh Ebrima Dabarwe. and sean cronin asks you know what happened to him i wish i knew <laughs> um I, I i mean i was never as impressed with darboe as others were um there were, there were a lot of dumb mistakes that I saw, whether that was in preseason or early matches of this season with Darboe that I just was like, okay, he's got some growing up to do. And he's one of those guys where hearkening back to what I said about, you know, having the Primavera play in like Serie Bay. If he could just like get match time right now um, in like the second tier of Italian football, that would be just what the doctor ordered. But he's not there yet. More than probably like Felix looks like he's, closer to there right now I would say than Darboe and you know Felix got COVID which kind of ruins things for a bit but comparatively speaking I think Darboe still needs to get some kind of miles on the wheels before he's really able to be a rotation piece in this midfielder midfield what do you think Steve yeah I I I don't know what happened to him either I thought for sure in the Zoria match we would see either him or Eduardo Bove in the central midfield because that was when Cristante was first ruled out um, and they ended up going with this look where Vertu is the lone defensive midfielder. And then Diwara got resurrected on Sunday and again today, kind of back from the dead. And credit to him for being professional about it and, and you know, having a pretty decent match on Sunday. Not the best today. But in terms of Darboa, yeah, I mean, I, you have to almost see the issue is I don't think Roma has the depth right now that they're going to want to loan out too many of these youngsters because Mourinho sees, you know, if the injuries pile up, COVID happens again, something like that, he's going to need some of these guys. But he didn't even go to, to either of Darboe or Bove pretty much at all. He threw Bove on the, at the end of the Genoa match, I think, for a couple minutes. Kind of, I think, threw him a bone a little bit because he had a really good international break with Italy under 20s and maybe he's been practicing well. But against Zori, I was shocked not to see some rotation with a guy like Darboe. So I don't know what's going on there. Maybe he's not practicing well. Um, you know, we don't know everything that happens in training, but I think that's all I could really think of. And then uh, last thing in terms of the formation, Jim, we had a couple questions. Uh, about the three-man defense after the last match, uh, after the Torino win, because it was a third straight match with a clean sheet with a three-man, you know, defense. Uh, do you think uh, Jose or Jose should stick with it? Um, because he said this team wasn't built for that, but he's done it for three matches in a row, including after saying, you know, after Cristante got COVID, you know, Cristante's got COVID. I don't know if we could do what we were planning on doing, and he's he stuck with it. Yeah, ironically, I mean, this team wasn't built for three at the back, but at the same time, because we don't have the wing backs to really make it happen or at least the depth at wing back to make it happen. Given that we kind of do have the center back depth to make it happen. Uh, I would say that, you know, when, when healthy Chris Smalling is obviously able to be like a Serie A level starter, like that doesn't like, if you've been watching him since he came back from injury, that's not in question. Like he's been looking amazing. Um, when it comes to Ibanez and Mancini, we know what we have there. They've been looking great week in week out. 
And Roma's defense has been really what's been saving its ass over the past couple months when, you know, for one reason or another, which we'll get into after the commercial break, certain players that we would expect to, you know, maybe even be at five, six, seven goals right now are still at zero. They're the reason why Roma's been, you know, in fifth place. So add in Kambula, who, you know, I, I've been impressed here and there when I've been seeing him play more on the three at the back than the two at the back, uh, or the four, you know, four defenders positions, because that's what he grew up playing in when he was at Hellas. Uh, yeah, I mean, the three at the back works in the defense. The question is how well the offensive players can function in that and how well the players that are being assigned as wingbacks can. El Shirawi seems to be doing a decent job at wingback. Um, obviously, he got injured in the 52nd minute of this match, so we don't know how long he'll be out or if he'll be out. Uh, if he's out, that probably complicates doing three at the back. I don't know what to make of Karsdorp at wingback. I feel like he's way better at a attack, very attacking uh, right back position. Less than, I mean, I, I know that's not too much of a differentiation, but I feel like there is a differentiation between right wing back and like right back who attacks a lot. And to me, I think Karsdorp is far better in the right back who attacks a lot category than the right wing back category. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I could see it working while we're still on bare bones injury and COVID wise. Um, but I don't know how long-term everything other than the defense ironically works with this three at the back position. Yeah. I think you bring up some good points there because the, 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 the central defenders, uh, have played this the past few years. Like you said, Kumbula came up in this system. Um, Mancini and Ibanez both played it at Atalanta coming up as well. That was a, that's something that Gasparini has done a lot over there. Um, and then, you know, Smalling adjusted well to it. And, you know, I want to give Smalling a shout out here because his past two matches, since he's come back from injury, very, very strong. He looks a lot like the Smalling that we decided to purchase outright from United a couple of years ago, um, you know, against Torino, eight clearances, two blocks, a tackle interception. Um, today against Bologna, he was again, he was Roma's highest rated player on who scored three tackles, two interceptions, four clearances did his job. You know, the one goal that Bologna scored today to break Roma's clean sheet streak was a really good goal by Zvanberg. He really pulled a, a, you know, a little bit of a surprise shot out. Roma didn't react quick enough. Patricio kind of got caught because I think he was shielded a little bit and couldn't react quick enough. It was a really well-placed shot. So, you know, when you get beat on goals like that, it's almost like, all right, tip your cap. Even, you know, they showed small expression and slow motion after the goal. And he was kind of like, man, like the heck of a shot. Like well, I, there was not much we could do about that. It's when the, the defense makes mistakes or the midfield makes mistakes and players make mistakes that you get upset. So I do think the three man defense is working very well right now, considering the results. Now, have they played it against a big side with it? Not recently. So we'll see if they run it out against Inter. That'll be a test for it. Um Luckily for Roma, they will have all three of their big time center backs available, not counting Kambula, because I'm going to stay the big three in terms of Smolin, Ibanez, Mancini, because those are the two that uh, those are the three the past couple matches that have looked really good together. Um, you know, AS Roma fan six even said Monday after that that he thought we were on to something with that back three, and he wondered if that would affect the January transfer window. I don't think it does, just because. I don't think this is the long-term solution. I could be wrong. Mourinho might see something that he might say, heck, we could stick with this. I think if Roma gets a proper D-mid, I think Mourinho would be a lot more comfortable going to a back four where he's got some protection for his center backs. I think I think that's the biggest hang-up right now. I know Mourinho went to the back three because Vini was out and he had to improvise a bit rather than playing a, a center back at left back again. Um, but I think a lot of it also has to do with him not trusting um, – playing maybe Vertu or Cristante, especially when Cristante was out, uh, Vertu as like a, a, a defensive mid in front of two center backs. I think that has a lot to do with it. So I still think defensive mid is the, the priority. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see if this team can can keep it together against a, 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 an attack like Inter's if they do play the three-man back line. And like you said, Jim, I think long-term, the other issue is uh, Vini is not a wing back. He's a left back. Fiori is a left back. Karzorp is a right back. They're not wing backs. The only one that really fits really well naturally is Spinazzola. And he's also showed that he can be a true left back for Italy and for, for Roma and be very effective pushing forward and defending when he does uh, knock out would come back soon. So, you know, that that's where I leave it here. I don't know if you want to throw anything else before we go to the commercial on the, the back line. Yeah, I mean, I would just say that I 100% agree that one way or another, Ricardo Calafiori is probably going to be a big part of Roma's future in defense. And he's definitely not a wingback. So Mourinho's given comments already saying that like, this is not his preferred formation. 
And he's also given comments where he's like, yeah, I know Calafiore is like the future at wingback. Like it, so it seems to me pretty clear that long-term uh, we're probably going to go back to four at the back and I hope that it works out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. And the only other thing that's at times has looked good in this formation is the two attackers with Abraham and Zaniel playing off each other. Sunday looked really good today. Not as much, but that's some food for thought too from Mourinho until he does decide to go back to the back four. So we'll take a quick commercial break and then we're going to get into the refereeing and some other big decisions that happened today. All right, we're back uh, from our quick commercial break, and we're going to talk now, Jim, about what was a big talking point in this one, which was the uh, referee, uh, Pareto. Nothing egregious like we saw in the Milan match where, you know, we should have had that that clear-cut penalty, no penalty taken away like we saw uh, on Sunday against Torino where the the refs took a five-minute bar check to check that. I forget who was that was offside, but I think it was Abraham. They said said Abraham, but it wasn't. Okay literally his heel was offside as he's coming back into an onside position that call it was similar to what i believe happened in the venezia match with pellegrini also where we had a penalty taken back when it was still uh, a match that was going pretty well for roma uh those kind of calls drive me nuts because i know by rule of the law it's a penalty uh not a not a penalty because it's an offside but it seems so inconsequential to the to the way the play happens because the player's coming back so i i don't know but Mike, um, before we keep going, my personal opinion on that penalty in particular is that if it takes five minutes for you to figure yeah. that out, then you are, then it's close enough that you shouldn't be overruling the ruling on the field, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's how most sports mm-hmm. work, that you have a limited amount of time to look at a, something and t- like in baseball parlance, tie goes to the runner or like, like you give advantage to whoever has the ball. And in this situation, if the VAR ref really thought that it was like that tight and had to take five minutes to figure it out, that means that it's close enough that the ref on the field should not be overturned. Overturning should be thought of as differently than like, you know, just confirming a a ruling. I think it should be a lot harder to overturn a ruling on the field. Anyway, let's continue with what we were about to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. Just to to cap that one from Sunday, every sport I've heard that has video replay, whether it be baseball with a guy sliding into second base or you know football where there's a complete incomplete pass touchdown whatever it's always has to be like clear and obvious error by the official in the field when it takes five minutes to to figure out that tammy's heel was like half an inch offside i think is not a clear and obvious error in the run of play but luckily it didn't affect roma today like i said no big you know refereeing decisions that went against roma but Mm. nicolas agnolo was in the spotlight a bit so I'm going to yeah, read Jose Mourinho's uh, comment post-match because Pietro Rizzo brings it up uh, and it was brought up a lot on Twitter. Um, and he said, I will finish with one observation. This was after he made a couple other comments about the match. I want to say something that probably goes against my interest. If I were Nicolo Zaniolo, I would start thinking that perhaps playing in Serie A means things will be stacked against me. So uh, Pietro asks, is it a coincidence that he brings it up after Zaniolo has been linked with, you know, Conte wanting him at Tottenham. What do you make of that comment? What do you make of the refereeing against Zaniolo? Uh, because there were a few decisions that were a bit harsh on him today. I think many Romanisi would say. To answer the actual question first. Yes, it's a coincidence. I, I mean, there have been rumors linking Zaniolo to Tottenham for basically as long as Zaniolo has been like a item in like senior level football. He's been linked to like Tottenham and Real Madrid. Those are the two clubs that they always say, Ooh, they're, they're sniffing around who, who knows, maybe they'll drop $40 million on him, this transfer window. And then they don't. So I, I I think it's a coincidence that, you know, that happened as for the broader issue. I'm a hundred percent with Jose on this one. Um, I it's been, I've been beating this drum on the podcast every single week, basically. And so it's nice to have a little bit of validation from a guy who's got way more soccer football experience than I do. Um, But it's just been really frustrating to see an obviously incredibly talented player, not score goals, not make as many assists as he should be simply because the referees are not giving him the time of day and him getting a yellow. This match uh, was infuriating. He should not have gotten a yellow. Um, And in, in some ways that yellow felt just more like a payback by the referee because 
he's after like six no calls, Zaniolo started complaining. And then the referee was like, oh, you're going to complain here, have a yellow card. And that ha- I feel like that happens a lot these days with his yellow cards. People always talk about how Zaniolo picks up yellow cards. A lot of the time, it just feels like the ref has something out to get him. And Jose knows what he's saying when he says, like, Zaniolo might be better served by moving to, like, the Premier League, for example. Because I couldn't, I can't think of anyone 23 and under right now who is an Italian attacker who has the star power and potential of Nicolo Zaniolo out there. Like, I, 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 Steve, can you think of anyone like that? No, in terms of, you know, Chiesa gets attention and some of these guys get attention, but I think sheer talent, at least pre-injury, yeah. and we'll see if it comes back fully a post-injury, I think Zaniolo is the biggest star in the making. Yeah, and so if Zaniolo's shown through multiple seasons of football that he can play at that level, if he then is given absolutely nothing from the referees and then like he moved over to like, let's say he moved to Tottenham and then started lighting it up, that would make the Italian that would make the Italian referees look really bad. That would make Serie A look like not a serious league. That would make it would have so many like repercussions if Italy lost its biggest attacking talent to another league. Um, and I mean, we've we've seen this to a certain extent, not with not for the same exact reasons, but you know, with Jorginho, Jorginho with, was without a doubt like the reason one of the best players at Euro twenty twenty. He's like was third place in the Ballon d'Or um, rankings this year, if I'm not mistaken, Um, or third or fifth. He was like high up there. He's considered one of the best footballers in the world and is probably the best Italian national team player out right now. Um, He doesn't play in Serie A because, and he played in Serie A for a while, but didn't get very much shine until he moved to Chelsea. And then everyone suddenly realized how great Jorginho was. If Italy, Serie A, the FIGC, if everyone doesn't want that to happen again with Zaniolo, something's got to happen with these calls. And don't tell me that refs aren't told, hey, be nice to Ronaldo, for example, when he's on the pitch. Like, give him some calls or give, I don't know, uh, back when, let's be honest, probably with Totti too. They probably realized after a certain point that Totti was enough of a star that he got star calls. And that happens. And so far, Zaniolo has been getting the exact opposite of that. And for the good, like for the good of Roma, for the good of Zaniolo, and like honestly, for the good of the national team and and the league, he needs to start being treated like a star. And part of that comes with you know actually getting calls when he's supposed to get calls. Yeah. So I'll I'll respond. Uh, but before I go to my my response, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit with you. But in terms of the comments, uh, I think it's definitely coincidence with Conte wanting him. That that's just more Mourinho bringing it up because it happened today. Uh, and it's been happening through the year where there's some calls that should definitely go Zaniolo's way. Uh, the, the one that or I think it was about 10 minutes into the second half today was literally like a rugby tackle. There's a couple gifts on the inter- on Twitter where you see he gets uh, raked a little bit across the shin and gets pretty much rugby tackled, as it was described by some people. Uh, no call. Uh, that was the most frustrating one for sure. We've seen other incidents this year where he should get a call, doesn't. Um, but I think part of what Jose is getting at here, I think is what, what you're getting at is with, this kid is a star in the making. Like you want him to go abroad to, to England, become a star there. And like you lose one of your best marketing tools in the league, like one of your best assets in the league in terms of, especially young Italian player, not even a young foreign player. Like, you know, you want your best players to stay home for the most part, especially uh, at a place like Roma where, who is yearning for a superstar since Totti's retirement. No, you know, I love De Rossi. wasn't on the, the Totti level in terms of stardom across the, the peninsula. I love Pellegrini. I don't think he'll ever reach that level of stardom either unless he continues to light it up like he did for the first five, six, seven games of this season. But Zaniolo has that star feel. And I think that's what Jose is getting at. He's like trying to get in the league's head a little bit where maybe they'll go to the refs and be like, you know, maybe you got to keep a closer eye on what's happening to this kid. Maybe some of these calls should be going his way. I think that's what Jose is getting at. He seems to like to play those mind games um, in his post-match comments, press conferences, pre-match press conferences. He's, he's a, he's a guy who likes to work people's minds a little bit. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate with you a little bit here in terms of Zaniolo not getting the calls because he is still a young player. And even though he has that star potential, he's not truly an established star yet in terms of his performances that we've seen the past couple of seasons, mainly due to injury. 
this season hasn't really lit it up in terms of goals or assists. I wonder how much it is the referee saying this is still a 22 year old kid. He's got a big mouth on him. He doesn't like my one call. So you know what? Screw him. I'm not going to get, make this other call a little bit later in the match because referees are human too. And we see that coaches treat young players a little bit differently in Italy. And I'm sure the referees look down on some of these kids as being young, hot shot, big mouth, especially Zaniolo because he ends up in the press a lot. And I wonder how much of it is the more he whines, the less calls he gets. Yeah. And I think that the yellow card today, like you said, was a result of him, you know, to put it pretty plainly, bitching and moaning a bit to the referee. Yeah. Um, I don't think that it's called a dive for a yellow against most players in the league. Um, and I see where he and Mourinho will be very frustrated about it. But I, I think part of it is the referees are getting a little bit tired of his whining. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. But I think that the problem that comes up there is that it once again creates an Italian referee as the protagonist of a match, which happens week in, week out. And it's just so frustrating and it makes the sport unwatchable comparatively. Like a referee should not be inserting themselves into controversy as much as, you know, they do on a regular basis. And this is not just a Zaniolo specific issue. I'm sure that there's parts of it where they're like, oh, this hotshot kid who dates supermodels is complaining to me. Screw you. I'm going to give you a yellow card. Like there's definitely a part of that there. That doesn't excuse it, though. Um, I think that at the end of the day, the ref needs to be the big boy and realize that, hey, you know, this kid is good and people are like basically threatening to give him a third ACL tear the way that they're playing around him sometimes. If you don't start calling these fouls, he's probably going to get injured again. Like, I, I hate to say it, but like some of these these players are getting emboldened to really play rough on Zaniolo too. And so you've been you, at the beginning of the season, it wasn't that bad. Like I can tell you, it's been getting worse and worse um, at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Were they playing tough on him? Yeah. hundred percent. But at the same time, like in the back of my head, I was like, well, he's a star level player and that's what happens. I mean, I've seen plenty of videos of some random French defender deciding to just like give Neymar hell enough to know that like, yeah, that happens to players who have star power. But the problem is that when the referees don't ever call it, it just incentivizes the defenders to keep on doing whatever it takes to make sure that that guy doesn't get another highlight. And we've been seeing more and more of the whatever it takes coming into here. And you described that, that rugby tackle that you talked about. Yeah, I saw that. That was infuriating to see happen. And I can understand why if I'm Nicolo Zaniolo, a kid who A, knows he's got a lot of talent, B, is coming off of injury scares that could have de permanently derailed his career. Like he's made no qualms like, about saying like, yeah, this could have ended my career and he's right, but it didn't. And like, from what I've seen, he's still got the ability to, you know, be really good. Um, given all of that, I would, I, I would probably also bitch to the referee a lot if I was coming off of two ACL tears, was worried about getting injured again and defenders were deciding to just eat me for breakfast every single match. Like, to me, that's a reasonable, like, I don't support bitching to the refs, but if I were to support bitching to the refs, it's in Zaniolo's position. Yeah, and, and I will say, not every foul against him is a foul uh, that, that he wants to be called a foul. Every player wants more fouls called in their favor than get called. It's the, the big ones, like the one we mentioned today, where it was like a full-on tackle, um, a couple others we've seen in recent weeks where, you know, they're dangerous plays in some cases for a, ki a kid who has to be frustrated when he's coming off injury, like you said, and the league does set a bad president if they don't crack down on some of them. Now, maybe Zaniolo, if he zips his lips a little bit, as, as I tell my third graders, you know, uh, on some of the little tick tack, ticky tacky ones and, you know, holds his gripes in for when there's something more clear and obvious, maybe that might help his case a little bit. But uh, the league does have to protect their stars a bit. Uh, obviously, that doesn't mean call every little time, you know, someone pulls on Zaniola's shirt, it gives him a little, a little tap on the rear end or something. But definitely, if someone's going in hard, uh, they have to protect him and other stars in the league uh, at times. The refereeing has come up a lot, not only in Roma matches, a lot of matches. Um, so that brings us to AJ Swanson, who asked if there are steps in Italian football to put pressure on referee association to clean up their act. At the end of the day, this costs clubs uh, money as they lose European opportunities. Um, we were talking before we came on, Jim, and we said, you know, Roma has pretty much put the full court press on as much as they could. Tiago Pinto had a whole press conference 
about refereeing. I don't know if there's more that can be done. I don't know the rules, the law in those terms, but I don't know what else Roma could do from their standpoint. Call me incredibly skeptical about, you know, Italian corruption. Um, but I believe, I remember reading something about, you know, Roma getting in trouble about 25 years ago or so for uh, their owner at the time giving like gold Rolexes to every, every um, referee. <laughs> we might need to pull back the the gold Rolex moment. Cause uh, honestly, like there's very little that seems to work in this situation. This is not a short-term problem. This is a long-term problem with um, FIGC and the referees association at this point. Like it's not just Zaniolo centric either. It is continuous. And you can tell that Roma's management has been annoyed about this for a while. Like even back in the Pelota era, there would always be at least like one match or two matches per season where there was just a complete garbage call or a complete garbage decision by the ref. And Pelota would like release a statement afterwards being like this stunk. And that happens guaranteed at least like two times a season. And Roma's not going to be able to reach its potential as a club. And Zaniolo is not going to be able to reach its potential as a player until there's actually some fair refereeing going on. And that's really sad to say but it does really seem like the refs are out to get the club. And I don't want to sound dramatic when I say that, but I, if someone can prove me wrong on that, I'd be delighted. Yeah. I wish someone who, you know, did this as a full-time job covering the league, you know, obviously not as we don't have the time to do it, but could pour through like more matches besides just Roma and see how many decisions or refereeing performances are poor in the favor of, other big clubs, quote unquote, big clubs, maybe the seven sisters, you know, how, how often does it happen to those clubs? Uh, just out of curiosity, it would be certainly a, an interesting case study. Um, but hopefully, you know, the refereeing improves. I saw a tweet from Monopoly account. I follow today. One of the, the, one of the writers who's done some stuff with us. And he even, I think was complaining about the refereeing in that match from Monopoly perspective. So it happens to everyone. Uh, it just feels like this year it's disproportionately uh, happening against us. So hopefully that, you know, turns a little bit and uh, we start to see some, some better calls Roma's way. Um, I'm going to couple our last two questions here, Jim, uh, before we look ahead to Inter, we have one from Pietro Rizzo, one from Irish Romanista again. And Pietro asks, what do you think happens if we don't get that top five, top four spot this year? Is this project going to fall apart without that UCL money and lore? I may, I may sound like a hopeless Romanista, but at this point, haven't we seen this happen in the past? Uh, I believe the winter transfer will be vital. And then Irish Romanista said, am I crazy to think that Roma currently doesn't look like it's going to approach our highest hopes, which would probably be top four, I would imagine is what he's talking about. But a finished in five, fifth to seventh place wouldn't be a disaster given it's mostly the same team as last year, uh, he's asking. And he said he might take sixth place after a day like today. So what do you make of the top four hopes? Is, it, is the project falling apart if they do finish in the five to seven range? What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? I will be happy. I think top four is still a reasonable goal for the rest of the season. I don't think that a six point gap is like that significant between fifth and fourth. Um, I also don't think that fifth through seventh would be like a end of the world situation either. Um, would I prefer top four? Of course, because that means that we can, you know, reinforce where we need to reinforce and we can convince players to stay who need to be convinced to stay at the same time. It's, barely December. It's December 1st. I'm not, I'm not calling it quits on this season just yet. Yeah. I'm not calling it quits yet. I think the match against Atalanta became even bigger in a couple of weeks after today's loss though, because say there's still six points back, which it depends this weekend's big because Roma plays Inter Atalanta plays Napoli. Both teams have tough matches. Both could lose. Both could pull surprise victories. Both could draw. Um, and then Roma's got Spezia before Atalanta. So if you can stay within six of Atalanta going into that match, then that match becomes vital. Because if you lose to Atalanta and you're nine behind going into Christmas, that's very tough, um, especially the way Atalanta can get rolling. And that that could you know make things very difficult. I'm not giving up hope yet, though, until we see how the rest of the calendar year plays out, I think. Um, yeah. In terms of fifth to seventh, seventh would be a disappointment to me because I don't want to end up in the Conference League again, let's be honest. <laughs> Um, Europa League I could stand if it means Mourinho building his project you know as long as they could keep players around if Mourinho is able to convince guys look you know this is similar to what happened with Fabio Capello his first year wasn't the greatest we're building something stick around for one more year give me one more year you know Zaniolo or Abraham if any of these guys are you know having doubts not that I don't think Abraham's going where they just signed him but you know if there's any of these big players having doubts I think you know 
fifth place might be enough to say, you know, give me another year. I think Jose has got enough power over the players to convince them to stay because they, they seem to be playing for him. And he is very complimentary of the players that are actually playing, you know, not his whole roster, but he, and he was even complimentary of the mentality of guys like Kambula and Diawara after last match. Um, I think it was in his pre-match press conference. He complimented the, the mentality of those guys for still practicing hard, still coming to practice every day, giving it their all. Kambula came on just for like three minutes, he said, but he, you know, broke up a crucial counterattack for Trino, took a yellow card, you know, uh, very unselfishly and helped Roma see out that win. And then he said Diawara stepped in after not playing much. I, I think he knows how to pull the right strings with his players. I think even that benching uh, is to the stands for a couple of those guys uh, seems to have really, you know, galvanize those kind of players to really give it even more. Now, VR might be a different case. We don't know what's happening with him. We've seen a little more uh, negativity from him on social media from what I've seen, but it seems like these other guys still want to prove themselves in Mourinho. He's got that, that pull on players, it seems. So I don't think not finishing fourth is the end of the world, like you said, but um, hopefully, you know, Roma stays in that battle. Uh, and I think Atalanta is going to be cr- critical for that. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think that Kumbula and Diawara have in particular shown what it takes in Mourinho's eyes to, you know, prove your worth. And that's been kind of nice to see because I never thought that either of them were just like, you know, good for scrap parts only. Uh, I thought I they, they obviously have talent. It's just been more a problem of, you know, bad luck with injuries, some poor form, but that happens to every single player, you know, no player is going to have 10 out of 10 form every single month, even. Um, so I would say that, you know, looking ahead, I could see DOR and, and, uh, and Kumbula staying around. Uh, I think VR is gone the moment that the January transfer window opens, uh, mainly because as you said, I don't know how this happened because this is a guy who, you know, was like, kind of left for dead by the big Spanish clubs before coming to Roma and then was able to blow up. But he really seems like he's got like a porcelain mentality. And that just seems like it's a not, you can't survive in Rome with that mentality. Like no matter what the manager is, like it it could be like Daniel De Rossi managing Rome, Roma, and everyone loves him. But if you don't have like at least like the stones to be able to work through some poor form and not blame it on other people. And then accept if the coach gets mad at you and things like that, then you can't survive in this, this club's atmosphere. And I think that what we've, we've seen with VR, unfortunately, is that I don't think he has the mentality to survive in this club's atmosphere. The other two, I think they've got potential. Myral, we'll see what happens with him. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, D.O.R. didn't play outstanding today by any means. And he had an okay performance on Sunday, but I think just from the mentality standpoint, I think, he's more likely to stick around than VR. You know, those two were complimented by Mourinho. And I think you're right. I think VR, the mentality doesn't seem to be there to to really gut it out with a guy like Mourinho, uh, especially because he doesn't fit the system as well either as he did with Fonseca. So I I could see him going in January to make way for that defensive mid that I think will be vital to Roma's chances of battling for the top four. Um, So just a a quick look ahead, Jim, uh, to Saturday because – Inter is looming, coming to the Olympico, uh, noon Eastern, six o'clock in, uh, in, in Italy uh, in the afternoon. Big match, one of the two big matches, like I mentioned this weekend. Roma, I would have felt, a, I, I said to you before the broadcast, I told my wife, you know, I'm busy for those two hours on Saturday. Don't make any plans for me um, because I was feeling a lot better about the match yesterday than I am right now. I, I'm a little pessimistic, which is unlike me as a fan. I'm usually fairly optimistic going into these matches. I'm always like in my head, like, oh, if we can win this match and this match, you know, we're right there with Atalanta. And, you know, I try to work out these scenarios. But right now, the scenario doesn't look great on Sunday. We have no Pellegrini, we know, through injury. Um, then today we had the blow of Tammy Abraham getting yellow carded on what I thought was a, a, a an atrocious call, worse than the one that cost Pellegrini the Derby by far. Uh, we lost Karsdorp to yellow card suspension uh, on what I thought was a silly decision on his part to engage um, Sansone and, and get himself a yellow card because his initial tackle did not get a yellow card on Spanberg. It was the reaction to Sansone's reaction caused him. Uh, and we know the right back, right wing issues without, you know, Reynolds not being trusted and, and Karsdorp playing almost every minute at times often hurt, according to Mourinho. 
Um, <laughs> Mourinho after the match even said, at least I took off John Luca Mancini when I did. Otherwise, probably he would have gotten a yellow card too and missed the game with Inter. So, you know, a little bit of a shot from Mourinho there at the referees in, in terms of the yellow cards that were handed out to some of his players that will miss out on Saturday. So, you know, considering the absences now, you know, what, how do you see, first of all, Mourinho trying to fill in for players like Abraham and, and what do you, I don't know, I guess on a scale of like one to 10, how confident are you that Roma can get, find a, a, at least a draw? I wish I had a better answer. I really don't know. I'm still kind of reeling from the fact that we'll be without Pellegrini, like our three best players of the season. We'll be without Abraham, we'll be without Pellegrini, and we'll be without Karsdorp. I, I don't even like Karsdorp that much, but it'd be crazy to not admit that he's like our third best player so far this season. Um, and I would say that losing those three against Inter is a huge blow. If, if, if Mourinho is able to get a draw out of this, I think we all need to shut up about criticizing him for like a solid month. That's how I would describe it. Like if he's able to do his whole Mourinho ball thing and park the bus and make Inter like frustrated, that's a huge win. Um, and making sure that they don't get the three points. Like we've been, and as we said before, like no team is like made a, out of steel right now. A lot of teams have been drawing, losing that shouldn't be drawing and losing. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm not super confident in a draw, but if it happens, boy, I'm going to be over the moon. Yeah, I, I think a draw would be a victory in this case, considering the circumstances for Roma. Inter's getting hot. Inter's now within two points of first place after Napoli dropped points today only one behind Milan. So it's really setting up for the Nierazzurri to make a run at, at a repeat Scudetto. I, I, all along, I felt that they were the strongest team in the league based on, you know, roster and ability. Uh, yeah. And I, I think they're making that push for their the Scudetto repeat and uh, Roma's the next team in line for them. So I think a draw would be a, a victory for Roma uh, for sure in terms of just, you know, riding the ship a bit and, and not really going into free, you know, free for all ahead of the Atalanta match in a couple of weeks. Um, I, I'm curious to see how Jose lines up. I don't know if he goes maybe more of a four, maybe he goes back to the four, two, three, one, but plays three center backs with, you know, Mancini or Ibanez playing a more defensive fullback role where Vina plays in the left and one of them plays in the right, because mm-hmm. he's not going to play Reynolds. We know that uh, El Shirari went off injured today. So if he's not available, there goes your option of maybe shifting El Shirari to a right wing back in a three, five. So, I'm trying to figure out where he's going to go with it. I mean, we know Cristante and Vertu are going to play in the midfield. We know Mkhitaryan is going to play. Um, I guess it's Zaniolo and Shamordov in some combination up top um, because even Myral wasn't called up today for a minor, minor knock. So the numbers are thin in terms of like what options he goes to in the attack. I guess Shamordov and Zaniolo with the pace can maybe hit Inter on the counter, but they're, Shamordov is not as dynamic as Tammy on the break. He doesn't hold the ball up as well. He can't distribute as well from what I've seen, um, you know, so it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I want to be more optimistic, but I, this is going to be tough. And I'm really curious to see how Mourinho lines it up. I was off by three players in my probable formation today. I had the formation right, but I thought there'd be some um, turnover. I don't know. I, I'm going to have a, my work cut out for me ahead of Saturday's probables because this is going to be a curious situation. This is what you get for complaining about the probables being way too boring, man. This is what we, you, you doomed us. You're like, oh, man, same 11 every single match. And now look where we are. Look where we are. It's all, yeah. it's all on you. you, you, it, it, you, you I'm hurting what somehow. I saw. There was a monkey's paw. You're like, I wish the probables were more interesting. Yeah, you know, <laughs> for like three weeks in a row, I was like, okay, it's the same 11. Like, how am I going to turn this into a, like even a couple hundred word piece about it? And I'm like, Brent, I might have to like can the probables for a couple weeks at least. And then all of a sudden now it's like, everyone's your getting best sick. Guess. Everyone's yeah. getting injured. Uh, I, I do agree that I think that Zaniolo and Shamurdov are probably going to be up there. Uh, it would be poetic if this was when Zaniolo kicked into gear. Um, I'm not expecting it because I agree with Mourinho that like a huge, the problem for Zaniolo more than anything else this season does seem to be the referee. But if, if the refs decide to be nice to him in this match and he's able to score a goal or two, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I, I was thinking the same thing right before you said it, you know, this would be the match where if he could do it, uh, it would be huge. Um, yeah. It would mean so much to Roma. It's, it's the team that kind of gave up on him and moved him for Nangalan. 
uh, it would be a bit of poetic justice. Uh, the only one maybe better would be Juve because that's where he suffered the first ACL tear. But uh, mm, yeah. it'll be interesting. You know, we'll be back. Uh, I'm not sure when after the Inter match. Um, hopefully with some at least some decent things to talk about. Um, but Jim, anything you want to leave the listeners with? Don't get COVID. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I don't know, man. It, 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 like, I, I was just, first of all, this new variant's scaring the bejesus out of me. But we've been losing, everyone's vaccinated in the, in the side, right? Yep. And so, like, the fact that Cristante got it and is back now, thankfully, but, like, Felix got it, like, it's not playing around anymore. So, both for Roma, Roma players and, you know, across the Romaverse fans, stay safe out there. Yeah, uh, shoot, I'm an Islanders fan, and they've they've had to cancel their last two games because of eight players going down with COVID, and we're playing eight players short with minor leaguers before that. So the the losing streak has been long and painful to watch. So hopefully Roma doesn't go, get into a similar situation, uh, yeah. and you know they can work their way out of these couple cases they've had. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for your questions as always, and uh, hopefully you guys can uh, give us some more positives to talk about after Inter. But we're not holding our breath here, so we'll we'll talk to you guys soon.